Spirit's still moving up there, I think, man. How are you guys doing? Hey, listen. <laughs> yeah. Listen, let me, uh, <clears throat> let me say something. Uh, and, and, and as soon as I'm done here, the Schmooze Fest will be over. Uh, Joey loves me. I love Joey and Cicely. Um, I, I need to tell you something. Like, Joey and, and Cicely uh, are family to uh, my wife, Christina, and I, right? You need to know that. Like, he's my brother. Not like, you know how we always say like brother in Christ, but I mean like Joey's not only my brother in Christ, like I consider him like a brother to me. I love him so dearly. I love his heart. I love his leadership. Uh, and and I, like, I don't need to say this to any of you, but he's just the real deal. You know, I've met a lot of men and women in my time in ministry, and I'm not trying to cast judgment, but, you know, you just see the fruit of their ministry, and it, and it shows that there's just uh, not, not a devoted time to, to God's word and God's work, but in Joey and, and in Sicily, there is a devotion to God that is real, that is tangible. And, and there's like an overflow from like their life and in their ministry. And I see like all these little Joeys and all these little Sicilies running around in this youth ministry. And I just, I just love it. Like I just love it with all of my heart. And that's a good thing. Can I tell you that sometimes I go to youth ministries and I see little versions of the youth pastors and I'm like, oh, Jesus, save us. Oh, Jesus, save us. Like, what are we doing, <laughs> right? So let me just go ahead and tell you that, uh, man, I am humbled and I am honored to be here this weekend. I have been praying uh, over this retreat for months. I've been agonizing over what God would have me say to you. And I'm going to just repeat it. If those of you guys who are here tonight, maybe you weren't here last night uh, at, at, at Excel, uh, you know, the, the thing that God really laid on my heart for, for this retreat is a separating between the wheat and the chaff. Just, just, just God saying, Chris, listen, I believe that there is a revival coming in this state. I believe that there is a revival coming in this nation, but first we must separate the wheat and the chaff. And I am going to tell you something, and I don't want it to leave this room, but I'm saying this because I know who your leaders are, and I believe you can handle this responsibility. I believe that student ministries like Excel need to be the tip of the spear on that movement. I believe that it's students like you who are not products of the culture. You are creators of the culture. And can I just tell you something? We need a new culture in Illinois. I'm not saying that the old was bad. I'm just saying that God is ready to do a new thing. I just wonder what it would look like if students all over Illinois just didn't wait for an atmosphere to determine their pursuit. Rather, it was the pursuit that determined the atmosphere. I just wonder what it would look like because when I read God's word, God says, listen, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Like when I read God's word, it says, seek me. With all of your heart, and what will you do? You'll find me. You'll find me. And listen, here's what you need to understand. God is not hiding from us. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. So when God is saying, seek me with all of your heart, the actual original meaning of that is condition your heart 
Condition your heart in such a way that when, when I am speaking, which is always, you will finally be able to hear me. And students, I believe tonight that we are starting the process of beginning. To, like even as Pastor Joey was talking about like taking off your shoes and there might be some mud that you're dragging in on this place. I'm like, oh, praise God. Praise God because it's a confirmation because here's what you need to know. Like the Holy Spirit will speak to, to men and women of God and there will just be these messages that go on repeat that will line up. There are times when I will talk to Pastor Joey about what's in his heart and there are times that Pastor Joey will talk to me about what's in my heart. And I got to tell you, the Holy Spirit, he's like doing the same thing in both of us. Do you want to know why? Because he's the leader. The first rule of leadership is God is the leader. Like we're both taking marching orders from God. So it's just so good to know that as leaders, as men of God who are following God, like we're just lining up. So I believe that what I have for you this weekend is lining up directly with what God wants to do in this youth ministry and then in this state. Can I just tell you that maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a Chicago boy myself right? That like, I just want Chicago to lead the movement. So let's just do this. Are you guys okay with me? Like not having gimmicks and just getting into God's word. <laughs> Cause I think that's what I want to do tonight. I just want to get into God's word and I, then I just want to get out of the way. So let me just pray. It's an honor to be with you guys. I'm, I'm just, Oh, I'm so honored to be with you guys. Man, I, I love it. I love being with you guys. I know that a lot of you don't know me from anybody. Cool, that's great. Like, just know that I love you, man. I'm so excited. If you want anything this weekend, you come and talk to me. Uh, my wife, Christina, is here. My three children are here. I'm not going to embarrass them right now. But if you see any of us walking around, man, just, just talk to us. Like, I promise you, we're laid back. We're not entitled. We're not, like, jerky. We don't think we're important. We just love students. We love student ministry, and we are here to serve you guys and to have a great weekend with you guys. Let me just pray, okay? Uh, everybody, uh, with with your head bowed or your head up, with your eyes closed or with your eyes open, with your hands down or with your hands up, I don't care. You just do what you need to do to hear from God in this moment. Father, we come before you. God, we come before you as we are right now. But Father God, we believe that we will not leave this place as we are right now. God, we, we want you to do a new thing inside of our hearts. We want you to do a new thing inside of our, our hearts, Father God. But, but in order for that to happen, something needs to die. God, I believe that if, 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 if unless something dies, then, then, then it will not sprout, it will not bear fruit, Father God. And I'm just praying right now, Father God, that these students would, would realize that their sin, their hidden sin has no place in their life. It is a trap. It is a snare from the enemy. It is keeping them from trying to pursue you, Father God. And we need to pursue you because you're everything. This world is nothing, Father God. You are everything. If we had nothing else and we only had you, we would still have everything. God, we are desperate for you in this place. We need you. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. God, I am desperate for you. I am bankrupt without you. Make me a microphone in your hands in this place tonight and may you move in power. Why? Because hearts are ready to receive you, Father God. You are already here. You need no invitation, Father God. I do not tell you what to do. You come and go as you please, Father God. So prepare our hearts to receive you as you move in this place in your name we prayed and everybody said
Amen, 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 amen. Okay, so here's, here's, here's the word tonight. Joshua 7. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai. Say Ai. Ai. East of Bethel, near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there is no need for all of us to go up there. It's not even going to take more than like two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all of our people struggle to go up there. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. Now, let me just tell you why this is such a shock, because this is coming off the heels of a great victory that the nation of Israel just experienced over Jericho. The nation of Israel, and if you haven't heard the story yet, was sent by God into the promised land. And the very first opposition they meet is the people who live in this fortified city of Jericho. Jericho was an evil and it was a wicked city. And it had very high, tall walls, massive fortifications. And here you have this rabble crew of Israelites that cross over into the Jordan River. And they are no match for the people of Jericho. So God sends a messenger to Joshua and he tells Joshua, what I want you to do is I want you to march around the walls of that place. And then when you're done marching around the walls of that place, I want you to just scream out and blow horns and worship me. And then the walls will come crumbling down. But here's what I want you to understand, Joshua. I need you to tell all of the men uh, that are in that place after the walls fall down, I need you to make sure that you do not touch any of the things that are devoted to destruction. And those were the, th- the, the, the things that were used for occult practices. Those were the things that were used for some of the witchcraft and Satanism and Baal worship in uh, Jericho. And God's people were to be set apart. And God took that consecration or that setting apart so seriously that he didn't even want his people to touch things that were sinful. He didn't even want them to lay his hands on it. That's a different message for a different time. And God also said, here's the thing, I also need you to take all of the things that are to be devoted to me, and I need you to set them aside because this is your first victory, so I need the first fruits. I need the tithe off of that victory, so I need you to take all of the gold. I need you to take all of the silver. I need you to take all of the bronze, and I need you to take all of the iron, and I need you to bring that back to the camp so that it can be set aside for the Lord's treasury. So what ends up happening is that the Israelites go out, and they march around the walls of Jericho. You guys know this story. You probably saw it in Sunday school if you grew up in church. If you didn't grow up in church, that's cool. Let me tell you how it ends. The walls come crumbling down. It is a miraculous victory. The worshipers are worshiping. The the horns are blowing. The walls come crumbling down. The people who lived in Jericho were absolutely stunned about what happened, and God got a great victory, and all of the glory went to God. And so what ends up happening afterwards is absolutely stunning because AI is nothing like Jericho. 
AI was like a small little community, a small little little tribe. It was it was nothing, and that's why like the Israelites got a little cocky. Joshua sent some spies. Hey, go up the road. There looks like there's some smoke coming from those hills. That could be a tribe. Go spy them out. Go see what those go see what those brothers up there are all about, and then come back and let us know what we need to do to prepare to take the promised land. Are they hostile? Are they not? So what ends up happening is Joshua sends some spies. They go ahead up to AI. They come back and they're like we have got this man and that's a good thing there was nothing wrong there was nothing sinful about their thoughts why because God gave them victory before and God can surely give them victory again all these brothers were doing was reaching into their God filing cabinet and being like uh Jericho when we took them we could take AI we, we could take AI so they went out to march against AI and they got their butts kicked I mean, like they got it handed to him. AI just chased him off the mountain, like, ah! Right, like something out of Braveheart, like, ah! Like just tore after him. It says that 39 men, 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. Listen to this. The men of AI chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. I don't know how far that is, but I'm sure it's a long way if the Bible mentions it. And it said, not 39, it says they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. It cost 36 men their lives. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events and their courage did what? It melted. It melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. They bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, Oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're just going to let the Amorites kill us? Like if we only had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has even fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and they are going to wipe our name off of the face of the earth. And then what's going to happen to the honor of your great name, God? But the Lord said to Joshua, what? Get up. <laughs> Love that part. Because it's get up exclamation point. So it wasn't like a get up. It wasn't like a, oh, get up. It was a get up. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. I'm going to tell you exactly what is wrong. I'm about to confront you with an issue that is hidden. I'm about to confront you with something that you have buried under the dirt that one of your men thinks that I cannot see, but I see all. I know all. I'm everywhere. I am not going to be mocked, so let me just go ahead and bring something to your attention, Joshua. Get up. Why are you laying on your face like this? Israel has sinned, and it has broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. What you need to know, Excel, tonight is when God said, you have broken my covenant, the old language there, the Hebrew there is you have committed adultery against me. You cheated on me. We made a covenant with each other. 
I am leading you out of Egypt. I have led you through the promised land. I have provided for you. I have loved you graciously and deeply and wonderfully. And you have had an affair. You desired something other than me. You committed adultery on me. You cheated on me. That is why, verse 12, the Israelites are now running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Let me just give you a little bit of theology here. Joey told me that I could preach a little bit tonight, so I'm going to. When Jesus says, I will not be with you any longer, that is an absolutely terrifying statement. Here's what you need to know about that. It doesn't mean that he's leaving because God is omnipresent. Well, I thought God is everywhere. How can God leave a place where he is because he is omnipresent? I do not understand this. No, you need to understand something, that God is omnipresent. He has two types of presence. There is the presence of his blessing and there is the presence of his judgment. So that when Jesus, so that when God is telling the Israelites, I will no longer be with you, what he is saying is I am removing myself from blessing you and the only part of my presence that is going to be left is going to be my judgment. We read about this in Revelation that we get this kind of terrifying image of God. We get this kind of terrifying image of Jesus that this isn't like six pound, seven ounce baby Jesus in the manger anymore. This isn't, I'm just gonna heal you and I love. Like actually when Jesus comes back in the book of Revelations, it says that his robe is dipped in blood and he has a sword coming out of his mouth and he has come to judge the nations. The Bible says at that time, the Lord will step on the earth and the wicked will run to the mountains, but the mountains will run from God. Like, let me just tell you something like, how terrible, have you ever seen mountains? Look, I'm a Chicago kid that's actually been out of the city. I've actually made it to Colorado. That was my first youth ministry gig. Can I, can I just tell you, first of all, that I hate wildlife? Anybody here with me right now? Like, so why Colorado wasn't my friend? There was places in Colorado that you would be walking down a path, like you would just be in the mountains walking down a path, and there's these signs that are on the path, and it says, if you have a dog that is smaller than this sign, please pick it up and walk with it through this part of the path because there's mountain lions that might come out and eat your dog. Yeah, like, right? And I'm like, I pick up the dog. I'm letting out the leash. <laughs> And some of you are like, that's cold. No, it ain't. You want to know it's cold? Getting picked off by an apex predator. That's what's cold. That dog is, you know, hey, I'm not picking you up, but I will let out the leash because if the mountain lion's out there, I'm going to give myself another three-foot head start. You're gone. Thank you for sacrificing your life for me, Fido. I appreciate that. I'm gone. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're from Chicago. Yeah, we, we believe it now. <laughs> But like, here's the thing. I've been to the mountains. I have seen their majesty. I have seen how unbelievably massive and incredible and huge they are. And that's just the Rocky Mountains where it's like 14,000 feet. Mount Everest is like, what, like 20-something thousand feet? Mountains are absolutely unbelievable. But the Bible says in express detail that when Jesus returns, the mountains are going to be like, look out, here he comes. This is the God that we are talking about in this moment, removing his blessing from the Israelites 
And all that is left is the presence of his judgment. And this is okay. Why? Because God is holy. And because God is holy, he is perfectly just. We good now? Verse 13, get up. Get up, Joshua. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, say hidden. Hidden, say it, turn to the person to your right and be like, hidden. Use that buffalo chicken breath, hidden. Hidden. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove those things from among you. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these hidden things from among you. You will never defeat your enemies until you locate, pinpoint, find the buried, hidden things from among you, Israel, Shell, Christian, and remove them from among you. In the morning, you must present yourself by tribes, and the Lord will point out to the, the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and then the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan will come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. Finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. The one who has stolen what was set apart for destruction, will he himself be burned with fire, along with everything he has, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord and has done a horrible thing in Israel. The next section of scripture is called Achan's sin. Listen to this. I'm going to keep reading scripture here. We're all right, okay? Verse 16, early the next morning, Joshua brought the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Judah was singled out. Then the clans of Judah came forward and the clan of Zerah was singled out. The families of Zerah came forward and the family of Zimri was singled out. Every member of Zimri's family was brought out person by person and Achan was singled out. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Mm. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. That preaches to you. I'm not going to go there. So Joshua sent some men to make a search. They ran to the tent. Why? Because they wanted the blessing of God back. Some of us need to run to the tent. Oh my gosh, this is preaches. Listen, listen, listen. Some of us need to run to the tent tonight. You get, you're, I'm going to let you run to the tent. Y'all are going to be running to the altar when I'm done with you. All right, here's the deal. 
They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the Sarah. So, so Joshua sent some men to make it. They ran to the tent and they found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and they brought them to Joshua and all of the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all of the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, tent, and everything that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor, which is actually mentioned again in Hosea. God says that I am going to make the valley of Achor a valley of hope. So there's actually redemption that's going to take place uh, many years in the future from here. That's just a side note. You can read about it in Hosea chapter four. It's absolutely beautiful, right? So you take them to the valley of Achor, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughter, his cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had. They brought them to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua Joshua said to Achan, why have you done this to us? Why have you brought this trouble on us? Then the Lord is now going to bring trouble on you. And the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That is why this place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. Let me just take a little bit of a side detour here because what you're about to think in this moment is, wow, that is really harsh. That seems like overkill. Like, why would God do that? If God is such a loving God, why would he allow the Israelites to stone this man, to stone his family, to burn their bodies, to burn his sheep, to burn his goat, to burn his tents, to burn everything that he, he had? Like, why would they do that? Why would they be allowed to do that? Can I just teach you something in this moment, students? And I don't think as pastors we teach this enough. We shy away from it somehow as though God is not just in what he just did. Can I just help you understand something? I'm going to help you understand this later on in the scripture too, but I'm going to set the stage by saying this. Listen, God is, God is the gardener. He can do whatever he wants to with the garden and the plants in the garden. We are not the gardeners. We are the other plants so that when we take another life, it is murder. When God takes a life, it is his. It is his. It is his creation. Why? Because we do not control what happens on the other side of eternity. God does. So if God is to say in this moment, I will take your life, it is mine, I demand it. He is fully, fully, fully just and able and righteous and allowed to do that. Why? Because he controls the other side of eternity. We do not. We do not. He is God. We are not. Listen, I believe that I need to teach you guys big truths that you can grow into instead of small, comfortable ideas that you can grow out of and run away from. So if you're not comfortable with that, good. Leave with tension. Go and study your Bible and get right with God. We're going to do a little bit more with this. Okay, here's the deal. That was the scripture. Now let's get into the preaching a little bit. Here's the question that I want to ask you to start this weekend. Here's the question. What is your sin going to cost me? What is your sin going to cost us? Excel, you as an individual, you, you as an individual, you right here, right now, what is your sin? That thing that you have buried inside of you, buried underneath your little spiritual tent, what is that going to cost us from advancing, from defeating our enemies, from starting revival? Like, what is that going to cost us? Because normally we focus on the price that we have to pay for our own sin. 
Like how that sin will hurt us, how that sin will give us guilt, how that sin is going to rob us of our blessing personally. However, very rarely do we think of the effect that our hidden sins and compromises have on others. Okay, so like James 1.15, Romans 6.21 through 23, like the Bible tells us on repeat that sin leads to death, that the wages of sin is death, that the cost of our sin is death, that sin grows into death. But what I have never read, what I cannot find anywhere in the Bible, however, is that that fallout of the death of our sin is limited to the one who has sinned. Excel... Here's how I would put this, and I hope I'm not being too insensitive when I say it this way, but I'm going to. Sin is not a sniper just trying to take you out alone. Sin is a suicide bomber. And I have never heard of a sin that has no collateral damage. I have never heard of hidden sin that does not have collateral damage. And there's some of you that are like, oh, yeah, I'm doing stuff, and it's not hurting anybody else. And it's not doing anything else, and it's not affecting anybody else. It is just my little pet sin. Be careful, because here's the thing. Satan's playing you. (laughs) Satan's absolutely punking you right now. Satan is patient. Here's, Here's what I mean by that. He is going to let you strap on that bomb of lust. He's going to let you click on those websites. He's going to let you scroll on your phone. He's going to let you go ahead and look at that pornography. He's going to allow that bomb of greed to be strapped up on you, and he'll allow you to walk around with it for as long as it takes. He's going to take that bomb, that bomb vest of pride, and he's going to put that on you, and he's going to wait until you have a following. He's going to wait until you have a crowd. He's going to wait until you have a reputation. He's going to wait until you have a family. He's going to wait until until you've even defeated a couple of Jerichos in your life and you're feeling pretty good. Oh, I took out Jericho. I can take out AI. And then you go up to meet your AI and then you've got this following of people that are coming with you and then boom, all hell breaks loose because you thought you had it under control. You thought you had it hidden, but it surfaces at just the right time, students, and it costs more than just your life. This is why you are hearing so much fallout with so many of our big preachers. Maybe it's because they spent so much time building their reputation and not enough time focusing on their righteousness. And there is going to come a point in your time, students, that you are going to have to choose righteousness or reputation. Righteousness or reputation. I hope many of you are just like John the Baptist, that unbelievable hero of the faith, who said, I must become less and less so that God may become more and more. Mm. Are we okay tonight? Put your hands in the air if you guys are still with me. Praise God. So again, what is your sin going to cost me? What is your sin costing the person that is sitting on the right and to the left of you tonight? What is your sin costing Excel? Yeah, what? Yeah. Like if you, if you bury your sin, you need to understand something. You bury spiritual strength with it. 
We are the body of Christ. And if you have hidden sin, you don't just hurt yourself, you hurt the body. So yeah, how is your sin hurting the church? How is your sin hurting Excel? How are you crippling the body? It's very, very difficult for Excel to run a race when it has a gimp arm, when it has a gimp toe, when it has a gimp eye. Listen, I want you guys to be at full strength. Why? So that the body of Christ can be at full strength so that we can advance in warfare with all of our strength. Our sword hand needs to be strong. Our shield hand needs to be strong. We need eyes that can see. We need senses that can see what's going on. We need all of you guys. Listen, I know you are not perfect. I am not talking about perfect. I'm talking about identifying sin, assassinating it, and making progress. God will take care of the rest. You just do everything you can, and God will do everything that you can't. What is your sin going to cost your school? Some of y'all are walking by people in your hallways instead of walking to them. What is your sin going to cost your city? Oh, my heart breaks for Chicago. Mm. What is your sin going to cost you here at Breakaway? Let me stop and camp on that for a minute because I believe that God wants to move in power this weekend. I believe that God wants to bless us with his presence, but I also know that God will not be seen with your other lovers in this place or anywhere. On repeat throughout the Bible, not just on this account, we see that the greatest hindrance to advancement, victory, and blessing is unrepentant and hidden sin that separates God's people from God's presence. And when you are separated from God's presence, you do not have God's power to change anything because God's presence is the change agent. Without God, you are just like the world. And if you are just like the world, you cannot change the world because you cannot change the world if you are just like the world. If you pour water into water, it's water. <laughs> mm. This is why Moses leading God's people into the promised land right after the burning bush, after, uh, by the way, in, in Exodus 33, 15 through 16, he says this, listen, it's God's presence that sets us apart. He's saying, God, I am getting ready to, to lead these people into the promised land, but I will not go if you are not with me. Please show me your presence. Moses in that moment, he is desperate. He says, I refuse to try and lead without being a man of your presence. I refuse to try and lead. I, am, I cannot do this on my own, God. Uh, I need you. It is not my talents. It is not my gifts. It is not my personality. It is not my style. It is not my reputation. It is not my intellect. It is not my opinions. It is not even my religion, God. It's your presence in my life that will make me stand out. It is your presence in our life that makes us different. It's your presence in the Israelites' life that sets us apart. And students, it is God's presence in your life that gives the world something outside of itself to offer that they desperately need and are searching for. Will you go to your schools with God's presence? Will you go to your families with God's presence? Refuse to go anywhere without God being there with you. You will not lead anybody into the promised land without God's presence. Psalm 80. Let me just read Psalm 80 to you. Can I do that real quick? Oh, man, Psalm 80 is so good. 
Psalm 80, listen to this. Let me just read this to you tonight, students. Here, check this out. And I want you, I want you to see if you can single out one phrase that's said on repeat throughout Psalm 80. It's not a very long psalm. So let me just read it to you. Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Listen to this. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord God of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? You have fed us with sorrow and make us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of our neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Do you want to know why their enemies were laughing at them? Do you want to know why they were a joke to the other nations? It's because, listen, they were praying to God, but they weren't practicing the presence of God. They were worshiping false idols while practicing a, a, a religion. They had become these masters of religion, but they had not become people of his presence. So they were going out and they were doing all of the things that Christians do, which make us look really weird without the presence and the power of God backing us up, right? And so the nations are like, look at them, what are they doing? Turn us again to yourself, O God, of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will be saved, will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt uh, like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and you transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea. Our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. But now you have broken down our walls so that all who pass by might steal our fruit. The wild boar from the forest devours it. The wild animals feed it. Come back. We beg you, O God of heaven's armies, look down from heavens and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted. This sun you have raised for yourself. We are chopped up and we are burned by our enemies. May they perish, perish at the sight of your frown. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so that we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord. Lord God of heaven's armies, make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. He is saying constantly, turn us again towards you. It was never God that turned away from us. It was us that turned away from God. That's why the psalmist is saying over and over, what is it, five times? Is it six times? Turn us again towards you. Isaiah 66 let me read Isaiah 6. This is, this is even shorter. I'm just, I promise you, this is so good. Mm, this is so good. Listen, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? No. So your religion is like worthless. Your church buildings. Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both the heaven and the earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts and who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. When such a people sacrifice a bull, it is no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it is as though they had sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well be offering me the blood of a pig. When they 
burn frankincense as if it is blessed. It's as if they blessed an idol. I will send them great trouble. All of the things that they feared for when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they did not listen. They deliberately sinned before my very eyes and choose to do what they know I despise. These were men who were masters of religion, but they couldn't hear God's voice. And what God is saying to us tonight, students, is if we turn back to him, it's going to require us to be humble, to realize, no, we are not God. We are not the masters of our fate. It is for us to realize that we must have contrite spirits, which means we have a remorse and a brokenness over the sin in our lives. And not only the sin in our lives, but the sin in our friends' lives and the sin that is in this world because it is causing separation from God. Like when is the last time you were broken and you wept over your sin because it caused a separation from God? When is the last time you were broken over people who were sinners and who were on their way to hell? And he says, I will listen to people who tremble before my word. Like in the book of Nehemiah, the first eight chapters about, are about God rebuilding his temple, but the rest of the book is about God rebuilding his people. And so what happens is, is they bring out the scrolls of the word in Nehemiah 8. And what ends up happening is Nehemiah gives the scrolls over to Ezra. And Ezra is holding the scrolls. And he's about to start reading them to the people of God. And he doesn't even, he doesn't even start to preach. And the people start worshiping. There's no music. There's no atmosphere. There's no, like, worship team with pads. There's no fancy lights. There's no comfortable chairs. It's just the word of God that's brought out before the people for the very first time. And they just started worshiping the brother didn't even read anything he didn't even preach i wish it was that easy people were just trembling before his word students your sin is not just robbing you of god's blessing it is robbing those around you of god's blessing flowing through you and god's anointing flowing through you is it worth the cost are we sure we aren't doing what Achan did are you burying something hoping that nobody will find out do you honestly think that god doesn't know about it I'm asking you these questions because I want you to experience the blessing of God's presence this weekend, Excel. But if you're acting like Aiken this weekend, don't be surprised when you go home to an AI. Where you have a victory, where you have a Jericho here. But when you leave this place, you're like, I've got this. But you've, you've got your little sin buried that you didn't deal with. And then you go home and you meet the same problem again. And you get into that cycle again. What if tonight could be different? What if tonight you were like, God, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care how embarrassing this sin is. I don't care what this is going to make me look like. I care what I look like before you, God. Like, I don't, I don't have a fear of man. I have a fear of God. Like, show me one student. Show me one young man. Show me young, one, one young woman who would be willing to say, I don't care about what people think about me anymore. What can man do to me? I, I, I fear the one who can destroy my soul, not the one who can say nasty things about me on social media. You know what I'm saying? I'm pleading with you to dig up what you are trying to hide and leave it at the altar tonight because there was serious fallout. And why was there such serious fallout? And here's the three, I'm going to make three super quick points and then I'm going to get out of the way and we're going to spend some time with God tonight. The first reason that there was such serious fallout is this, is because Achan stole from God. 
Achan stole from God, family. Listen, Joshua 6.18. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Joshua 7.20. Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. Listen, because I'm going to dip into some theology again right here. God instructed the Israelites not to take any of the devoted things for themselves. Now, we talked about what the devoted things were, what God was instructing them not to take. And here's why. Because the devoted things, listen to this, super important, were to be used to showcase God's glory and to build God's kingdom. What were the devoted things to be used for? To showcase God's glory and to what? Build God's kingdom. Build God's kingdom. All of the gold, all of the silver, all of the bronze and the iron would be used in the would be used as building materials that the Israelites would use to furnish God's temple in the future. Why? So that the glory of God and that the goodness and the story of God would be on display to the rest of the world and to the rest of the nations. These devoted things were also to be put into a treasury that would be used to advance and build up the nation of Israel who were God's chosen people. So as Israel grow, listen, God's fame across all of the earth would grow as well. Stick with me. Stick with me here. Okay, ready? In the New Testament, when Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again three days later, he established a new temple. Us. He established a new church. Us. We're the followers of Christ. We are the new temple. Listen, we are the church. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 2 that we are the living stones of the new temple and Christ is the cornerstone family. Catch this now. If Jesus established us as the new temple that is supposed to display the glory of God to all of the nations, that means that the devoted things are us. That the devoted things are our talents. The devoted things are our time, our abilities, our words, our actions. Listen, listen, this is so huge. All of these things in us today are supposed to serve the same purpose as the devoted things did in the Old Testament symbolically. To display the glory and the goodness and the story of God to the world. Achan's sin is that he stole things that were supposed to be used to build God's kingdom in order order to build his owns and we better not act like we aren't doing the same thing today that we aren't using our talents our ability our word to make ourselves look great to build our kingdom i see it at fine arts all the time y'all don't know what fine arts is that's okay i'll skip that Anything we are using to build our kingdom, students, anything that we are using to build our fame, anything that we are using to build our reputation, can I just let you in on a little bit of a secret here? It has to be stolen from God's kingdom first. Right? You are never meant to be devoted to you. You were created to be devoted to God. Achan saw the robe, he saw the gold, he saw the silver, and look at his words. He said, I wanted them so much. 
And I think if we're honest in this place, we struggle with the same thing. Like we're, we say like, man, I just wanted that person's attention so much. I just wanted his acceptance so, so much. I just wanted to be loved and liked so much. I just wanted that, that following so much. I just wanted those likes so much. I just wanted, I just wanted to feel like somebody loved me so much. So I, I took the things that, that, that God set aside in me as my talents and my gifts and my abilities. And instead of using them to build his kingdom, Pastor Chris, Pastor Joey, I, I was seduced by the world. So I used it to build my own kingdom and said, because man's opinion started meaning more to me than God's opinion. It's the sin of Achan. You took the devoted things that were supposed to build God's kingdom and go to his treasury, and you used it for your kingdom. It's easy to do. My hope for you is that you don't realize the terrible cost of your misdirected devotion too late. What was the cost for Achan to keep those temporary treasures? It cost him his family. It cost the lives of 36 Israeli soldiers, and it cost him his life. And, and I promise you if, you, if you misuse the devoted things, it'll cost you too. To live for the temporary will cost the lives you should have reached. It'll exact a cost on your family. It'll exact a cost on your fellow soldiers sitting all around you tonight. And it will cost you the purpose and the meaning of your life. Listen, I'll tell you right now, my brother served in the army. Three of my brothers served in the army. And they told you that one of the most important weapons that you have in warfare is the brother that is right next to you. And if the brother that is right next to you isn't at his full capacity, you are putting yourself in danger and it'll cost you. If I am not full, if I am not attentive, if I have not remembered all of my training and I am not focused on the seriousness of the war that is right in front of me, then I am not only costing myself my life, I am potentially costing the life of the person to the right and to the left of me as well. Can I just let you know that we are engaged in very serious spiritual warfare? We are. And the more engaged and the more you take your training seriously, the more you will help the person, the brothers that are sitting to the right and to the left of you. So don't tell me that you care about your friends unless you start caring about the mission. If you are not at your strongest, the church isn't at its strongest. Number two, and I'm going to fly through these. Achan tried to hide his sin. <laughs> okay, let me be clear here. He tried. Right? Like when it comes to God, there is like no such thing as hidden sin. There isn't. Right? What we're talking about is, is our attempt to hide it. So what we're talking about here tonight is, 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 not, is not revealing anything to God. What we're talking about tonight is releasing things to God. Okay? So you may be fooling a lot of people, but you are not fooling God. The Bible says that he will not be mocked. Like, here's the really stupid thing about keeping your sin hidden is that when you keep your sin in the dark, you are keeping it in the one place that Satan can have access to it. I brought this plant. Whiplash, right? I brought this plant with me, and here's what you need to know about this plant. It has a very special quality. This plant is a shade plant. You guys know what a shade plant is? I know there's not a lot of plants in Chicago, okay? This is a shade plant, which means that this plant thrives out of direct sunlight. That you need to put this plant in a shady spot where the sun cannot really get to it, where the light cannot really get to it. Can I tell you that your hidden sin, that sin is just like a shade plant. And that shade plant cannot be pulled out into the light because the second that that shade plant that is sin is pulled out into the light, it begins to wither. It begins to die. Your friends can keep you accountable. But if you keep it in the dark, it is the one place where Satan can water it. It's the one place where Satan can tend to it. It's the one place where Satan can mess with it. 
When you keep your sin in the dark, you are allowing Satan to play with that sin. But if you drag it into the light, church, if you drag that sin into the light, when you become fully known, then Satan can no longer play with it. Satan can no longer make you feel guilty about it. Why? Because you're fully known. So that when Satan starts saying, hey, what about that pornography? You could be like, Satan, I already told my pastor about that pornography. I dragged that out into the light. Like, listen, I told God about it. God already knows about it. I'm being held accountable. What, are you, what else you got? I am fully known. Listen, there is nothing more scary to the kingdom of hell than a fully known Christian. You can't be negotiated with. You can't be bribed. You can't be bought. You can't be seduced. You can't be scared. Why? Listen, some of you have got a shade plant that you need to drag into the light tonight, and you are going to have the opportunity to do it at the altar. And I know that some of y'all are thinking about it right now. Some young men and some young women that are in this place, you might be struggling with pornography. Some young men, some young women in this place, you might be struggling with an insecurity that is so deep and it is so real that you are actually starting to cut yourself. You are starting to wound yourself because you just need to flesh out some hurt. You need to flesh out some pain. There is some hidden stuff that is in you. There is some hidden hatred. There is some hidden anger. There is some hidden brokenness. And you just need to pull that shade plant out. You need to be honest before God. You need to be honest before your leaders. Can I tell you something? You ain't going to shock us. You ain't going to scare us away. You're not going to scare God away. He loves you. If he sent his son to die for you, do you think he's going to be like, except for that? If I send one of my kids to die for you on your behalf, I promise you, I am all in. I'm invested. God is all in with you. He loves you. He knows about the hidden sin. Can you drag it out to the light and let it shrivel up and die? In the name of Jesus Christ. Mm. Okay, so, so tonight I want to know if you are willing to pull that sin into the light where it can be dealt with so that God, so that God because God is going to be so quick to be to forgive you like what are you so ashamed of Ephesians 2 while we were dead in our sins Christ still loved us Romans 5 8 while we were yet sinners Christ died for us while you were at your worst Jesus was still hanging on a cross going I love you I got that number three worship team come on up don't be distracted by the worship team The third thing is Achan didn't confess. He was confronted. He waited. He waited. There was no true repentance in Achan's heart until he was caught. He, he literally just said, I'm sorry, after the bomb went off. And some of you are like, man, God, I still feel like God was so harsh. How much time did Achan have? He said that he wasn't even called forward until the very next day. Joshua was confronted with the sin as soon as the Israelites returned. And then there was a full 24 hours before the tribe started getting called forward. And in that 24 hours, Joshua and the elders of Israel, are, they have ripped their clothes. They are rolling in the dirt. Do you think at any point Achan is thinking about the stuff that's buried in his tent? Do you think at any point Achan
Satan is like, oh, that's me. I've caused this. Of course he knew that. He walked around in the desert. He saw what happened in Numbers 25 when the Israelites messed with the Baal of Peor. He saw God's wrath when the Israelites had glad and rebelled sin in their lives. So Achan knew exactly what he was doing. This wasn't an innocent mistake. He thought he was just better than God in that moment. I believe, though, that students, that God in his mercy gave me this message to preach to you because it gives you another opportunity to repent. Tonight, tonight, it's not too late. When, when, when Joshua started calling the tribes forward, it was a very prophetic image of when Jesus starts to call and gather the nations to him at the end of times when his final judgment was taking place. I, I truly believe this. Now listen, some scholars agree, right? And, and this is not this is not dogma. This is not okay. This is just this is something that I believe because I understand the nature of God that if Achan would have just come forward and confessed and said, "Oh, I did this." Before the time was too late, before the judgment came down, before he was confronted, he waited to the very end. He waited to the very end. He thought he could, okay, they haven't called me yet. Okay, it's my family. It's my tribe, but they haven't called me yet. Okay, it's my family, but they haven't called me. Oh, they called me. John Piper said this. Listen to this. He said, to be caught in hidden sin is a horrible thing. There's only one thing that's worse, not to be caught. To be caught in hidden sin by a brother or sister in Christ is a horrible thing. The only thing that's more horrible, the only thing that's more terrifying is not to be caught to get to the end of your life and to meet with Jesus and to still have something that hasn't been dealt with. And now listen to me, uh, <laughs> students, here, here's the deal. I need you to understand something. I need you to understand the gospel in this moment. I am not talking about sin that you are making progress on. I am not talking about things that, that you are working on daily, that you are fighting against. I understand that there are some sins, that there are some addictions that you are working on, you are repentant, you are being accountable, and you have given them to God, but there are some things that are in your life, and you're just like, no, I'm not going to give this to you, God. You have an unrepentant heart. And I'm just telling you, please repent. Students, our God is loving and patient and merciful, and he is quick to forgive, but he is also righteous and just, and a time will come where there is no more time. The window will close. It will either be at the end of your life or when Jesus comes back, but you will have to stand before God one day. And you will either give your sin freely to him now or it will be extracted in judgment then. And when that moment comes, either all of your sin will be exposed and judged or the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ will have it covered because you came to him before it was too late. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But listen, God doesn't leave us there. He says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So can everybody stand up in this place 
wherever you're at. Go ahead, stand up all over this place right now. And here's what's going to happen in this moment. I'm going to ask that all of you, with courage, keep your eyes open and keep your head up. And if there needs to be a moment of repentance where you say, God, I need to give something to you. I have something buried underneath my tent and and I feel like I haven't been getting the victory in my life and I just want to be a person of your presence. I've been living with the fear of man and I just, I've desired stuff. I've just wanted stuff so much, but God, I've realized tonight that you are the only thing that my heart desires. God, I want to spend time with you. There's a shade plant of sin in my life and I just want to drag it out into the light because God, I want to be in right standing and right relationship with you in this place. Listen, with all the courage in your heart, if that is you, let's do business right now so that God can continue to work in our hearts throughout the week. And if that's you, can you just put both hands up in the air as a sign of surrender and as a sign of worship in this place. We're going to start to worship God in this place. I want you guys to start calling out to God right now. Say, Jesus, Jesus, we need you, God. We're sorry, God. We love you, Jesus. Thank Thank you, God, for being so merciful. Thank you for revealing my hidden sin. God, I give it to you in this place right now. Come on, let's worship, students. Now in this moment, what we're going to do is if you have something that you need to deal with, I'm going to ask you to step forward. Come step forward to the altar. The altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar is a place of sacrifice. You are saying, God, I am willing to sacrifice myself. I am willing to sacrifice my comfort. I am willing to sacrifice my reputation. Why? Because I desire your presence. Let's just start worshiping God all the way from the front to the back. I'm going to allow the worship team to have a moment to just praise God. But students, what I want you to do is I want you to just start begging God. I want you to start praying out to God, crying out to God right now to advance. Jesus, we love you. Come on, let me hear your voices in this place, students. Let me lead you in a prayer. Let me lead you in a prayer in this moment. I want everybody in this place to just repeat after me. There might be some of you that are in this place that are truly giving your heart over to Jesus for the very first time. Here's what I want you to understand, that there are no real power in the words. The power is in the heart that is surrendered to God. Right? The power is in the heart that is truly repentant, that is surrendered to God. Repentance means that you are turning away from your old lifestyle. Repentance means that you see that you are a sinner. You are humble enough to recognize that you have sinned. Sin is an old archery term. It means to miss the mark. It means that the arrow has gone off course. So when you say, I am a sinner, it means my life is not hitting the target. And and my life is not doing what you intended it to do, God. 
what you're saying in that moment is humbly, God, I just want to say I'm sorry. You are the Lord of my life. And that means not only am I recognizing you as Savior, that you have the ability and that you have the power to forgive my sins, but I am also saying that you are Lord that I am going to follow after you, that I am going to do what you say, that I'm going to open up this word that is the bread of life, and I'm going to eat it, Father God, and I am going to do what it says. I'm going to meditate on your word daily, and I'm going to start to pursue the things of God. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer in this moment, a prayer of repentance where you turn away from your sin, where you have contrition, which is remorse, where you see the sin and it breaks your heart because it has caused separation from the lover of your soul. But God, who is so rich in mercy, sent his son to die for you and he rose again three days later that while you were yet sinners, he was able to forgive you. God is strong enough to save you. There is nothing that you've done and that creates worship. So here's the prayer that I'm going to lead you in, and I just want you to agree with me in prayer. You don't necessarily have to repeat the prayer, but you just need to agree with it in your heart. And while I'm praying, you guys can be praying your own prayers in this moment. But when I'm done praying, the worship team is going to go off, and we are going to spend some quality time at the altar with God in this place. Jesus, oh God, we repent. Oh, God, forgive us of a, of a heart that strayed from you and a heart that was far from you, Father God. Turn us again back to you. God, we, we, we've buried some stuff. We've hidden some stuff, and you've known about it the whole time. God, we are not trying to reveal anything to you because you know it all. We cannot surprise you. We cannot take you off guard. God, tonight is not about revealing our hearts to you. God, tonight is about releasing our heart to you. So God, take it. We are fully yours. God, we are fully yours. And we want to say thank you for the gift of salvation that you freely give us, Father God. When we come to you, Father God, it says that nothing is strong enough to separate us from your love. There's no height. There's no depth. There's no demon. There's no angel. There's no power. There's no principality. There's no sin. There's no attitude that can separate us from your love. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. Jesus, we're yours. Jesus, we're yours. Have my heart, God. Lead me and direct me. I turn from my sin. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Now let's celebrate what God has done in our life. Let's talk to God about the plans that he has. Let's now bask in the presence of God. Now that our hearts are open to him, now that our sin is revealed to him, let's spend some time with him. Some of you need to go to leaders and confess. Some of you need to turn to P. Joey and you need to confess what's been going on in your life. Some of you need to get on your knees before God at this altar and confess and release your sins to him tonight. Let's do that right now. Jesus, we love you. Go ahead, worship team. Take us away. Why are we at this altar? Listen, again, as long as it takes. And God said to Joshua, you will not gain victory over your enemies until what is hidden among you is revealed.
students, there are enemies of your heart. There have been things that have been holding you down for so long. There have been things that you have been keeping buried for so long. Do you realize that freedom from those things is available in this place tonight? I just read this incredible quote the other day, and it said this. It said, religion is this. When I screw up, my dad is going to kill me. But a relationship with Jesus Christ says, I've screwed up. I've got to go and tell my dad. Right? Like, that's so kitschy. But it just moved me in that moment because I'm like, yeah, that's so true. My dad passed away a couple years ago. And it broke my heart because I loved my father. He was the kind of dad that I could run to and say, Dad, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm messing up. I, I'm an idiot. I, I've, I'm doing this. Can you please help me? And he would just sit me down and he would love me. He wouldn't yell at me. He wouldn't make me feel like a fool. He would just say, yeah, I understand that. Do you know that you have a father in heaven that understands what you are going through? He's with you. He loves you. Like, like, yo, students, you need to understand this. Like, and I and I get this. Like, for some of you, the family dynamic isn't there. There is broken families. For some of you, dad isn't there. So right now, in this moment, for you to come and be like, okay, God, Father, I need you to help me in this moment. Like, I get that that takes a massive amount of trust for you, but would you be willing to make yourself vulnerable in this moment? Would you be willing to make yourself vulnerable to a God who loves you, to a God who who, who sent his son for you to die while you were yet sinners? Where, where it says in, in the book of Romans that maybe somebody would die for a good man, but for a sinner? But Jesus did. And God said to Joshua, you will not gain victory over your enemies until what is hidden among you is revealed. Excel, what does victory look like for you? Yo, yo, student, what is like, young man, young woman of God, like what does victory look like for you right now? Like if you could say, God, if you could take this one thing from me right now, like this one thing that I'm struggling, this is, okay, start dragging that out into the light. What does it look like for you right now to become fully known? I want us to continue in the altar, but here's what I want to do. If you are a leader in this place, what I want you to do is I want you to make yourself available, like just across the front in these in this altar area with these students, and I want you to start making yourself available to start praying over these students, to start praying over some of the stuff that they're dealing with in their life, okay? Obviously, men with men, women with women, we want you guys to be praying with one another. The worship team is just going to continue to play. If you feel like you need to continue to celebrate in worship because of what God has done in your life tonight, then celebrate in worship. But listen, if you need to come and you need to like start 
to actually verbalize, to confess with your mouth what is going on. If that is the process you need to undergo in order to drag that sin out into the light, let's do that. Let's be fully known. Listen, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Ain't nobody here going to make you pay for your sin. Do you want to know why? We're all sinners. All of us. We're all beggars looking for bread. And God freely gives it to us, guys. Jesus, move in this place. Continue to move in this place, God. Let's go, students. If you need to find somebody to talk to, leaders, you can, you, you're spread out all across this place. It's fantastic. Unbelievable. If you need to go out to some students, you can do that. Let's start praying. Worship team, just do your thing. Continue to lead kids into the presence. Students, let's just go ahead and really seek after God in this moment. If you need to go and find a chair and turn around and make that your altar and get on your knees at that chair, then do it. If you need to find a corner in this room somewhere and just cry before God for your friends and for your family so that God would give you the victory, maybe AI is your family. Do you want to know what the rest of this story is? Can I, can I tell you the good news? Is that when Joshua did what he did with Achan, when the sin was revealed, Israel went out the very next day and defeated Ai handily. They weren't even an issue. Israel defeated Ai with the presence and the power of God. Students, how are you going to respond in this moment? God has victory for you. Let's continue to pray. know, if we're not careful, we can read that story of Achan and come across scared of not confessing our things out of fear of punishment that, well, if I don't do this, then God's going to kill me and my family and everyone around me. And truth be, I'm sure at that time, there were some people who celebrated Achan's death and his family's death. And you kind of see that attitude continue on with the Israelites up until the time of Jesus. And I thought about that as I think about when they caught the woman in adultery. And they caught her in the act of her sin. And they bring her before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the just thing, the right thing, according to your law, is to kill her. Sometimes the reason we don't confess these hidden things is not necessarily out of fear of what God might do, but out of fear of how other people look at us. We feel like, if man, if I'm open about this, if I'm honest about this, people are going to think about me differently or people are going to look at me differently or people are going to treat me differently or people are going to judge me. But I love what Jesus does. The Bible says that he sits down and he begins to write in the sand. Now, the Bible's not clear on what he wrote down, but... One of the guesses that I like, I wonder if, if when he wrote down, he just began to write the sins in the Pharisees' lives. I wonder if he began to point out, hey, you need grace just as much as this woman needs grace. And maybe she got caught and you did it, but that doesn't make your sin any less greater than her sin. Listen, the one thing you can't forget tonight is the reason we get to confess freely and openly 
the hidden things in our lives is because we bring it before a God who is full of grace and mercy. He doesn't throw it back in your face. He doesn't bring it up every now and then and say, see, you're still this. He says, no, I've always known you did that. But I'm so happy that you're willing to bring it up now. That you're ready to deal with it. That you're willing to confess it. And I want you to know tonight that God meets you not with judgment but with grace. Not with disappointment but with love. It's not a surprise to him what you're talking about tonight. It's not like he didn't know. But the joy and the love of God's heart is saying, now that you know, now we're both on the same page, that we don't want this to be a part of your life anymore. See, here's the main reason why you need to walk away with grace. Because grace helps you walk away and not return to the hidden things. Guilt and shame, that wears off and then you go back to all that stuff because that's where you find comfort and love. And God is telling you tonight, those hidden things will never love you like I do. Those hidden things will never bring you comfort like I can. You hearing me tonight? So as we get ready to close, I want to pray the grace of God overwhelm you in this moment. Because sometimes, man, we get so caught up in our heads. We get so overwhelmed with our emotions and our guilt and our shame. And God died on the cross so that you would not live in guilt and shame anymore. But that it would be wiped away by the love of Christ. Now listen, just again, to prayer, the love of Christ is not freedom to sin, but it is freedom from sin. The love of Christ doesn't allow me to do whatever I want. The love of Christ enables me to not have to do the things I don't want to do anymore. So you're no longer a slave to those hidden things and what you struggled with. But beginning tonight, you are experiencing freedom in the love of God. And if you remain in my love, my love will remain in you, the Bible says. So you don't have to work and try and, man, I, I'm just going to try to do better. No, I'm going to try to stay in God's love. Well, I'm just going to do this and that. No, 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 no. If you stay in the love of God, there's no more room for love of other things. That will be the key to not going back to the things that you felt guilt and shameful about. Does that make sense, guys? Okay, and I'll give you one more challenge before I pray. If you did not confess it to somebody tonight, here's what I find. The things that we don't confess, we repeat. So it, it's easy if you want to lose weight to not tell anybody about it. Because if you don't tell anybody about it and then you don't do it, it's not a big deal. But if you tell somebody, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on this diet. And then two days later, they see you eating cupcakes, and they're like, what happened to your diet? You're like, shut up. <laughs> right? That's why we don't say stuff. Some of you are going to try to go to bed tonight not confessing what God said, because if you don't confess it, then no one will hold you accountable to it. And you can go right back to that secret sin. So I want to challenge you tonight, before you lay your head down and close those eyes, talk to one of these leaders. They're not perfect. They've just been where you've been. Share with them and say, hey, listen, this is the thing that, that I've been hiding. This is the struggle that I've been going through. This is, this is where I need accountability. This is where I need help. This is where I'm willing to be transparent. And what I find, there was a movie back in the day. I don't know if y'all ever saw Speed. Speed. I love that one line 
where, where the two cops are, are running after the bad guy, and the bad guy grabs one of the cops, and his partner looks at him, and he goes, shoot the hostage. And he shoots his partner, the hostage. Why? Because if you shoot the hostage, the bad guy doesn't have leverage over you anymore. Sometimes you got to shoot those hidden things. you got to call it out so that the enemy has nothing to hold over you anymore. So that when the enemy says, I'm going to tell your leader about that, you, my leader knows. <laughs> I'm going to tell God about that. My Lord already knows. I'm going to tell your parents about that. I spoke to my mom myself. You're not holding this against me, enemy. Does that make sense, guys? But here's the thing. We can't do any of that by, without the grace, love, and power of God. So we're going to pray for that as we get ready to close. So here's how I'd like us to close as, as we all are stand up. Can you just grab the hand of your neighbor real quick, just all across this room, just as a sign of togetherness and, hey, man, we're in this together. Let's just seal this tonight in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room, God. Lord, I thank you for the word that you so eloquently gave tonight, God. Lord, I thank you that Chris's voice shrunk and your voice grew, God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this place and that you bring that sweet conviction into our heart. Lord, I, I, I pray that you forgive us for those times that we confuse conviction for condemnation. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the grace and love that is accompanied with this conviction of knowing I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't want to go back to that stuff anymore. I want to be who you called me to be, God. I don't want to identify with what the world tells me to identify with. I don't want to go back to the things that comforted me in my moments of weakness because they were never really enough, God. I need you tonight, Lord. I need you like I've never needed you before. So, Lord, I pray that the love and grace of the Father overwhelm us tonight, God. Lord, that this transformative moment not be out of fear of punishment, God, but it be out of a love that goes for you greater than any love that we've ever experienced, God. Flow it out in this room, almighty Jesus. Let your people experience it in a mighty way, oh Lord. And Father, we thank you for what you're beginning to do tonight. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do as we dedicate ourselves to you for the next few days, years, and lifetimes, we just pray, God, keep us in your hands, Lord. Keep us in your love. Help us to be transparent, to be vulnerable, to be honest and sincere. Lord, build us up into you who you've called us to be because there is a world outside of this campground that is desperate to see it in us. So we thank you and we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Everyone said? Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise?